0: If I had to sit down and list one of my hero brands, one of the brands that I see online all the time that I absolutely love what they're doing and get a lot of brand recognition, one of those would definitely be Solo Stove. I have one myself now. I talk about it all the time. And today, I get to interview the CEO of Solo Stove and figure out what made them successful, why I know about this brand, and why so many people are excited for me to have this interview specifically. Listen to the end, it's gonna be a great episode. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life, fulfilling our passions. And we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated. Get inspired. You're listening to the AMPM podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the AMPM Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today is an episode that I honestly genuinely have been looking forward to for a long time. We interview a lot of people with a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different stories and a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of great information. But this episode, I actually get to interview the guy leading the charge at one of the brands that I absolutely fangirl about. And I'm not just saying that because he's listening to me and I'm trying to trying to <laughs> kiss butt right now. I'm dead serious. If I think about the rise of these micro brands, right, these products that don't come from big CPG companies that aren't in every brick and mortar store and haven't been around since the days of Montgomery Ward. And if you know what Montgomery Ward is, go back and check it out. It's an old store that died well before Kmart, right? I think about these brands that are blowing up my Facebook, that are blowing up my digital assets, right? In forms of advertising. I think about content marketing. I think about brand stories. I talk a lot about Tom's Shoes, right? Their brand story is buy a pair, give a pair. Solo Stove, has this mission of branding themselves as an experience. And that's something that yeah I look at in all their advertising. It's not about the patent on their item. It's about like, hey, we can bring people together, which is amazing. So without further ado, let me introduce our, our guest today, John Maris, the CEO of Solo Stove. And then I want to talk just for a second about Solo Stove again before we get into his, uh, his lessons and his information he has. So, John, thanks for being on the episode. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here with you. And where are you located? Uh, we're down in Texas in the, the Dallas area. Awesome. So I don't remember how many times all the digital marketers, quote unquote, digital marketer gurus say you have to see something before you start recognizing it. I remember I've talked a lot about the nomadic backpacks that, that I now own. I remember seeing those ads for like a year before I finally realized nomadic, nomadic, like it was imprinted in my brain. I'm sure it took a lot less time for solo stove because the branding and the marketing was absolutely amazing. But I remember for months seeing the ads for this overpriced metal pot that people put fires in, right? Like that's how I see this thing. And after enough imagery and enough marketing and enough connections, like in my brain was imprinted this brand of solo stove. And I remember thinking, this is really cool. So as my wife and I were sitting around before Christmas thinking about what to get her dad, my father-in-law, who is a perpetual grouch, I've talked about him before, nothing ever makes this guy happy. We thought, we got to buy this guy something that is exceptionally cool, that he would never buy for himself, and if he doesn't like it, I'll keep it. (laughs) So I told my wife, I said, there's this crazy overpriced tin can called Solo Stove. Let's go buy one of those things. She bought one, it arrived at our house, and I was jealous. I was super jealous. I wanted this thing. In my mind, this is going to be the coolest thing. I talked to people that talked about how amazing they were. I thought about all the ways I could use it, and I wanted it. Well, long story short, my wife saw the envy in my eyes and decided that she was actually going to hide it in our garage and give it to me for Christmas. And you know that you have a good toy on Christmas when it's the first thing you open. And it was freezing cold outside. There was snow on our back deck. And I unpacked this big, heavy, stainless steel looking thing, brought it out of the back porch, and could not wait to put a fire in this thing and watch it do its magic. I remember, John, one of the most amazing things about this. So, so and we'll get to actually what the product is in a second after I finish my, my fangirl story. But you <laughs> have a lot of things that make this unique, right? It's a patented, unique item that like, basically has no smoke. I'll let you talk about that. But also, the most amazing thing that I've ever seen is I put this fire with oak firewood. It's burning hot. It's 2,000 degrees in this thing. And I've got that little four-inch spacer underneath it on a wooden deck covered in snow. And like four hours later of burning, the snow directly under this fire pit has not melted. Like, I still... Look, I was a firefighter for 10 years. I <laughs> do not understand the science behind <laughs> not the snow four inches from this thing not melting. It's amazing. But... Um, since then, I started watching more and more closely their marketing and just got got more and more convinced that they have something special here. Um, I was able to use some friends of some friends to get in touch with Solo Stove and set this interview up. So I'm super excited. I have a million questions to ask you. But, John, explain to the listeners first what the heck is Solo Stove. I've defined it as a overpriced tin can, and I say that in jest because obviously I don't believe that anymore. But what the heck is Solo Stove?
1: Yeah, I mean they- – Listen, I've never been intro this way, so I appreciate you having me on. And, and certainly we we love our our super fans. And 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 frankly, we've got a lot of them out there, but they're, they're all they all love us for different reasons. And that's, I think, one of the things that I love about the brand is it just does different things for different people. Our, our brand mantra here, you know, at, at Solo Stove is good moments, lasting memories. And the coolest thing about good moments and lasting memories is, What's a good moment to you might not be the same for your neighbor or the person down the street or even your best friend. Good moments and lasting memories look different for everybody. And what, what our product does is bring people together so they can create those however they see fit. I grew up on a 50-acre ranch outside of Austin, Texas, and, and I spent most of my weekends as a kid sitting around fires. And the the greatest memories that I have as a kid all involved... Hanging out with my friends, hanging out with my family, hearing my grandfather tell stories around the fire, hearing my dad tell stories about about around the fire, about his childhood. And there's just something primal and unifying about a campfire. It's like the oldest thing that exists, right? Like, like from an entertainment standpoint, like I mean, this is maybe, maybe getting a little altruistic and a little bit far-fetched. I mean, I'm obviously pretty biased being being in the seat that I'm in, but if you just go back in time to the caveman days. Before they had games, before they had electronics and, and all the other stuff to entertain them, you can just imagine that the entertainment they had was fire. Like <laughs> this is freaking cool. Let's sit around this thing and let's just hang out and make memories. And that's exactly what solo stuff is. It's a company, and you said it best. It's not a product business, it's an experiential business. You know, we don't we don't compete with other products. What we compete with, and we say it all the time around here, is we're competing with people that are spending money going to the movies, or or going to Disneyland, or, or going to the theme park. You can do that, or you can spend three to five hundred bucks on, on a solo stove fire pit in your backyard, and you can bring a campfire experience to your backyard every weekend for the next several years. And, uh, and so the question is: is how do you want to spend your money and your time on experiences? And I, I think for us, that was a big unlock and a big a big moment when when we realized that people were interacting and falling in love with our brand because it was helping them create moments and memories and experiences that they just hadn't had in any other way in
0: their life. All right. So I need to take a deep breath here because literally from what you just said, I could unpack about four hours of content, but I asked you what solo stove was. You haven't told me what the product was. You have literally described your product through experiences. You just gave me a whole dissertation on fire, And togetherness and experience. And you did not actually talk about the physical product, which (laughs) is a huge lesson. All of you listening to this, just go back and rewind the past three minutes and listen to what just happened. I said, what is Solo Stove? And he said, it's a solution. It's not a physical product. Now, to catch people up, let's actually talk about what the product is. All right. So the product is a next generation, super freaking amazing fire pit. And that's your flagship product. You have other products under the solo Stove brand, and you even have other brands under the solo Stove umbrella, but your flagship product is this fire pit. So talk specifically just for a minute. So everybody can visualize in their minds what the heck we're talking about. Yep, for sure.
1: So in my experience, there are two reasons. Listen, listen, sitting around a fire is fun, right? I, I have never met somebody that didn't enjoy time around a fire. There are two reasons why I generally hear that people don't have maybe three, three reasons. Let's just say three reasons why people don't have campfire experiences more often in their life. The first one is that there's a perception that if you live in the city, that the only way that you can have a campfire experience is packing your bags, planning a big trip or camping outing, and then going and doing an overnight camp so that you can have a campfire experience. So... So to solve that you're right we have our, our flagship product is a portable wood burning fire pit okay it's a port. I'll explain the, the engineering behind it but it's a portable wood burning fire pit that you can take anywhere so you can literally take it from your backyard to a campground tailgating to the beach wherever you want to take it it can go with you so that's that's essentially what our product is and I'm going to explain each one kind of, Kind of how it does it so the first thing that we did and the first problem that we solve for people is we made it so that you can bring the campfire experience to your backyard it doesn't matter if you live in a row home in philadelphia you're in a condo as long as you have no restrictions from an hoa standpoint so i'll just put it this way if you live in manhattan in new york city you probably aren't taking the solo stove product on your balcony on your high rise and lighting up a fire but basically anywhere else you can get out there and you can have a campfire experience in your backyard. When I was growing up, I told you I lived on a 50 acre ranch. We lived still outside of Austin in a, in, a, in a rural community, but when my friends, when I was a kid, were growing up, if they wanted a fire, it was let's go to Maris's place. It wasn't, man. We could just have a fire in our backyard, even though they lived in you know on a third to half acre lots, you know, and, they, and they, there was plenty of space. But this perception that you had to go to the campground or go to the country for a fire, just a lot of people have that misperception, and solo stuff kind of knocked that down. So that's kind of it the made first. it
0: accessible. You're
1: talking about it accessibility, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you, next,
0: so so yeah, fires aren't accessible. That's problem number one. Problem fires number fires are
1: accessible because there's this false perception that you've got to go to a campground to, to get one. Right. Yep. Number two is. Okay, now I'm at the campground and I still don't know if I'm going to make a fire because I've never made one before. And fire is kind of intimidating. I'm not a boy scout. I'm a I'm a 50 year old accountant and I've never made a fire in my life. Well, the solo stove and you can you know, I'll let you I'll let you back me up here. But the solo stove is the easiest fire that you'll ever make. And it goes back to the engineering of the product, which I'm going to talk about in the in the third one. But it takes the intimidation factor away. We say box to burn in five minutes. So literally, you take it off your front porch, just like you did on Christmas morning. You take it out from underneath the tree, you unpackage it, you put it on your balcony or your porch or whatever, and then you you get a fire going. And and literally, in five to ten minutes, you can have a really great fire going, even if it's the first fire you've ever
0: made. One of my the favorite most beautiful emails. fire too. When that it's, thing gets hot, it's, it's the most beautiful, amazingly but beautiful.
1: My favorite emails that I get from customers are when they say, "I'd never made a fire before, and I just wanted to say thank you because." you made me the hero of my backyard. And can you imagine now somebody that has children or a spouse and they're like, you're not an outdoors person, you can't make a fire. And they go out there and they become the hero of their backyard, whether it's with their friends, with their spouse, with their kids. And that's exactly what we're about is, again, back to good moments and lasting memories, we don't wanna be the hero of your story. We want you to be the hero of your story and we wanna be the facilitator to make you the hero whether it's the best backyard host, the best dad, the best spouse or whatever it is. Um, the last reason, so the first reason is accessibility. The second reason is intimidation. It's just hard. It's hard to make a fire. This perception that it's, it, it's not easy and we've really fixed that. And then the last one is for people that have sat around fires, if, if you're like my wife, my wife grew up, she sat around a couple fires here and there, nothing like my childhood, right? She grew up in Northern California. But every time she did sit around a fire, her perception of what the experience was going to be like was, I'm going to be playing musical chairs for the Running next two hours smoke. because no matter where I sit, I'm going to get smoked out. I can <laughs> move around the fire and the wind will find me. And now my hair smells like smoke and I got to go in before I go to bed. and I got to take a shower. And my sheets are going to smell like smoke. That my was eyes are the burning. Episode. The
0: kids are upset. Everybody's angry because everybody got
1: smoke in their eyes. That's it. I mean, and it's like, man, I, I love the fire experience for about five minutes until 10 minutes in. I, my eyes are watering. My hair smells like smoke. My clothes reek. And, and you know, heaven forbid if you're camping and now you're getting into your tent and everything else is smelling like yep. smoke. And, uh, and, and what we did is we engineered a product that burns nearly smokeless. So, you know, what a lot of people have done to solve the smoke issue is they went gas. Well, the problem with a gas fire pit or a gas stove is that, There's no heat and you can smell the residual of the gas. I
0: mean, your hair is not cool. There's nothing cooler than, than like embers and glowing. Like, yeah,
1: totally, totally different experience. What we've done is taken it and made it a wood burning experience, just like a traditional fire, but removed the vast majority of the smoke. And the way we did that is by creating a patented airflow technology where Instead of oxygen feeding the fire from the top, it actually is feeding the fire through holes and a floating ash pan in the bottom, and it creates more fuel, essentially, or more oxygen with your fuel to create a more efficient burn. All smoke is, a lot of people don't know, and I only know because of this job, is that smoke comes from inefficient burn. It's the leftover. The more efficient it gets, the, the less smoke there is, because ultimately, high heat will eventually, and you, you were a firefighter, so you can teach this lesson better than I can, but high heat will combust the, the, the emissions. So essentially smoke is actually combust and becoming flame uh, through this, this hotter fire. You talked about 2000 degrees. So the way we market it is a normal campfire will burn like 700 degrees. Our fire pits will burn 14 to 1600 degrees. And so what's happening is the, the little smoke that there is that's coming out there's so much heat it's pushing it up and so it gets rid of the smoke but most of the smoke actually combusts because it's just so hot it's like a furnace it's not like a fire it's it's a furnace so and that's the kind and, of science behind it
0: yeah i was i always loved the science of fire when i was doing the firefighting thing and um I understand the principles of smoke. I understand the principles of ventilation. And when you actually watch this thing burn and it gets to temperature, right? It has to get you have to let it get hot enough. You have to make sure there's yep. no wood sticking out the top. But yep. once this thing is like I was about to say firing, once this thing is operating at we optimal, say we, we we use the we use the term uh, once it's activated. Once, once it's activated, activated. Once activated, once it once it is sped yep. up and it's doing its thing, it's amazing. Like you can see the way that the vortexes thing work. The the vents on the top sides. It's amazing. So what you're telling me is that you guys use technology that is patented. You know, it's a patented item right now. I'm sure um, technology to fix the problems of this experience that people want but think isn't attainable, think it's too intimidating, and they think that it is um, a nuisance. Right. So you basically fix the problems of what people want. By using this amazing technology that you guys have patented, now you own the market for the coolest fire pit in the world, essentially.
1: Yeah. The, the one clarification I'd put out there is I don't, re- I don't think a lot of people even realize that this is something that they want. I actually think that what, and we're going to get into the digital marketing side, you talked about kind of being everywhere, but a big part of this is helping people realize that this is something they should want, that maybe they don't even realize they don't have, or is a missing link in their life, because again, remember, eighty percent of the U.S. population lives in an, in an urban environment in the cities, and so people generally, it's not like an everyday person grew up sitting around fires, um, and so they don't even realize what they're missing. But you know, very similar to you know, you take a company like Apple, you know, who had the foresight around the iPhone to 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 believe that people would want a computer in their hand and be able to do everything on the go. We're, we're in a lot of ways betting on the fact that we believe that people kind of the antithesis to, to, to the Apple and, and having your computer everywhere you go is that people will actually long for more real experiences that are unrelated to electronics and, and being connected, quote unquote, um, by spending
0: time with real people in real places, making real memories. So. Prior to this interview, several weeks ago, when we lined this up, I actually posted in several Facebook groups of online sellers and said, Hey, I know a lot of you are familiar with Solo Stove, which they were. Said, If you could sit and ask the CEO several questions, what would they be? I had over 200 responses. And typically, this part of the interview, what we do is we talk about the actual business, like lessons that you can share with us based in your business. And we have those here on my sheet that we're going to get into. Um, basically, wisdom from the success of Solo Stove and what can you share with us. But first, what I'd like to do is fire off some of these rapid questions. All right. You don't have to go too deep into these because, again, we could spend six hours. But setting the stage of Solo Stove is a company that makes a stainless steel, uh, technologically advanced fire pit you are almost primarily all sold through digital marketing. Is that accurate? Yeah, just uh, roughly 85% of our business is, is sold online. It's sold online through digital marketing. Um, also setting the stage, I'll give a, a spoiler alert here. The flagship product that you have right now, the Fire Pit, was not your first product. The first products that Solo Stove launched with were much smaller. It looks to me like backpacking style stoves. So small, small little stoves that you can use a little bit of wood. You didn't have to carry fuel and you could cook your pasta, your dehydrated, whatever it is when you're hiking the Appalachian Trail. Right now, was the technology discovered prior to that? Like the first use of this specific type of burning was that technology uh, used in those small first versions of the product?
1: It was, and 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 just to be clear, while we hold IP on our products, secondary combustion—the idea of utilizing this kind of airflow to create a hotter fire—has actually been around for long, almost a hundred years. I mean, it was technology that was even around during World War II. So, what the founders did is they they learned about this technology and then started tinkering with cans in their garage and ultimately figuring out how to put it into a camp stove that would allow them to boil water in less than six minutes for ultralight backpackers. I mean, that was exactly with the, the wood way. and the pine cones and the crap you so find basically laying on the ground. no fuel, no packed fuel, right? You're an ultralight backpacker. So you, you're not carrying fuel. The stove weighed 4.3 ounces and could boil water in less than six, you know, in six to eight minutes.
0: And All right. You, you when, was, when was, when was that leaves. like, when, when was solo stove selling those items? When was that the primary business was the backpacking stuff? 2011
1: is when the business officially started selling products.
0: You know, what's crazy is I actually have a lot of history in ultralight backpacking and from about 2010 to 2015, I was big into it and I had never heard of this technology. I'd never heard of solo stove. I didn't know this existed. I was packing in cans of freaking expensive fuel, had no clue this existed and maybe there's a lesson there, right? Something about marketing. Yeah. Um, So, your flagship product was not huge. It wasn't what put you on the map, but it led to this conversation. What happened in the business that made everybody decide, hey, what we have is not going to put us on the radar. Let's make a really freaking big thing and change our business model because your business model was creating backpacking stoves. And then you went to fire pits. And and this is, this is kind of an important I don't know, lesson on the sequence of what made you successful because you had to stop what you were doing and focus on something else, which is tough.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was an evolution here. Uh, I'll, I'll say three things quickly um, so, so we can keep moving. But the first one is that Solo Stove was founded with $15,000 and not a, a penny was put into the business uh, unless, unless it was money generated through the business until the this founder is, exited. Uh, this is basically grand, a bootstrap business. A bootstrap business. It was a, a side hustle in a garage. The founders actually worked full-time in their full-time jobs until 2015 and 16, when they finally were able to go full-time and solo. So for five to six years, they were working full-time during the day and then and then working on solo stove at night. But the business was profitable from the first year. So two, two lessons here for any, any of the guys, especially those that those of you that are starting out right now. You don't need a lot of money and you can be scrappy and and you're playing the long game. And those those lessons are still ingrained in the culture of the way we do business. The second thing I'd say is, well, the fire pit came in 2016. The evolution of the product mix happened through the customers. All we were doing and this is why we love digital marketing. This is why we love direct to consumer at Solo is because your customers will tell you where to be. Our customers were informing the next products, not us. We weren't sitting around in a garage thinking that we had it all figured out or we were the smartest guys in the room. We were actually just listening to what our customers were telling us. And our customers were saying, hey, first we had this ultralight backpacking stove. And then they said, hey, sometimes we're not ultralight backpacking. Sometimes we're doing day day hikes and we're cooking for two to four people. Could you make a slightly larger one? So we did. And then eventually they came back and said, hey, we love this stove. And sometimes we're car camping. We don't have to hike at all. Could you make a larger one so we could cook for eight people? And so we made a larger one. And then eventually that same customer base came back to us and said, I know this is going to be crazy, but sometimes we don't even want to cook on it. But we love the way this works and we love the way the flame looks. Could you make this into a fire pit? we just 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 a little a little tidbit. A lot of people don't know. We thought it was the stupidest idea ever. <laughs> Anybody would buy this thing. we are like, it's just a large. It's kind of like the way you were describing. We're like, it's a, it's basically like like a big, large barrel fire. Like who's going to hundreds of dollars, up? like yeah, hundreds of dollars dollar. for a big tea can instead <laughs> of instead of like twenty five dollars. They're going to pay us hundreds. No way. But we, uh, you know, we decided to listen to the customer, and, and we 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 went on Kickstarter. Actually, we kind of went back to our customers, so we said, "Listen, we're going to put it up on Kickstarter, and if you guys can scrounge together a hundred backers on Kickstarter, we'll go make it for for you hundred, and then we're we're, we're going to be done. We're just trying to satisfy you as our customer. We're just we're not even going to launch it as a product. We're just going to make sure that there's at least a hundred of you out there. And we put it up, and in in, in forty five minutes. We had we had we had our hundred backers and in the end of thirty days we had sold you know one point three million dollars of, of fire pits and three months later it was the large it was selling more just that one product than all of the rest of our products combined.
0: So um, you did a one point three million dollar launch on Kickstarter. Yep. And, and that it was really, really the voice. dumbest idea you'd ever heard. And you were just going to satisfy these hundred people. And you basically said, we're not even going to invest in retooling to make the bigger one unless a hundred of you go ahead and prepay us. That's it. That's Holy it. crap. All right. Because that was one of my questions was, how did you launch this thing? Because a lot of, and you've answered it in a couple different ways, because a lot of people ask like, Hey, Solo Stove, we recognize it's a big company. It's doing great. Like, how did they get started? So two things here. One is they started with two guys at full-time jobs screwing around in the garage Playing around with ideas, they didn't actually invent anything super technologically advanced. They found a technology and they just reapplied it. So I'm sure your That's patents what, are mostly design patents right now, right? Not exactly. utility and patents. We
1: have a couple of utility ones around some some certain things that we've done with it, so, but generally, you're right. This is and 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 frankly, philosophically, our founders just believed that at this stage of innovation in the world that Most great ideas are actually just going to be better iterations of something that already exists. They kind of went into their business believing that that was the case. And so they were looking for something that existed that they could just apply and make better. And that's
0: exactly what they did. So first phase of launch was two guys in their garage with $15,000 between them that they invested probably in their first amount of inventory. They started selling these things. They they, they kept their full-time jobs for five years until they could go full-time. Um, and then they made a massive exit from the company a short time later, right? Yep. yep. With $15,000 to start. <laughs> That's insane. That's and it. Then you listen to your customers. You started changing product designs. You thought this was a stupid idea for the fire pit. So you pre-sold it to make sure that you weren't going to lose any money on it. It went huge on Kickstarter. And that is now your flagship product that essentially puts you on the map. And now has made it possible to purchase other brands under the solo kind of uh, like kind of umbrella and we'll briefly talk about that because that's part that's a big part of the story here that you guys are now acquiring other brands that have the same mantra of like we sell experiences and memories and togetherness not a product yeah all right what about covid now if i had to guess let's talk about covid because the past two years have been your highest growth phase i imagine like this is when you really you know like the rocket ship started flying now i suspect that covid really helped because more people are stuck at home People are home. What are we going to do? We're going insane. We're going bored. We can't travel. We can't do anything. Let's start a fire on a back porch. I want to talk about that. But also at the same time, I imagine you had ridiculous supply chain problems because everybody listening knows that supply chain issues got just crazy stupid during COVID. So you're at your time of what I imagine to be highest demand, but also highest difficulty getting the products to sell.
1: Yeah. So growth, growth rate wise, uh, just a to- put things in perspective um, and kind of give everybody some numbers to, to, to work on in their, in their minds. If you just take solo stove and take out the acquisitions, right? So to take out any of the acquisitive stuff, solo stove was 16 million of revenue in 2018, 39 in 2019. So you're like 250% growth. This is pre COVID. Okay. 16 to 39. 19 was 39. 2020 goes to 133. So just over that growth rate from 18 to 19. And then 21 goes from 133 to 360 for just oh. the SoulFill brand. Holy crap. So growth rate wise, if you take it as a percent, you know, was actually just there was tremendous momentum pre COVID. Yeah. Going you know, in, into our business. Now, you're spot on with 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 some of your with, with with some of your assumptions around what happened during COVID. You definitely saw an increase in in, in online demand. There was an offset about 45 percent of our business comes from word of mouth. And during COVID, we saw that actually trail back as low as 20 percent. Because nobody was sitting around fires with friends anymore or or even extended family, right? Everybody was stuck at home by themselves. So and word so, of mouth is
0: you go to a neighbor's
1: house and go, Well, this thing's amazing. What is this? It's exactly. a solo. How, how many times have you had friends over sitting around your stove with you and they they buy one while they're sitting around the stove with you? I mean, it, it Has happened. Time, Absolutely. Right? Yep. And so that that shut off during COVID for us. And so while we saw the increase in demand, we also saw the drop in referral business and for new customer acquisition, that was a pretty big hit for us. Um, however, definitely still saw tremendous demand. And you can imagine going from, you know, 39 to one thirty three from 19 to 20, that that's, that's a lot of stoves. That's a lot of fire pits. And, uh, and so meanwhile, you know, you've got some shutdowns going on in China and and in, in Asia, which is where we manufacture our product. And, um, And so we're scrambling and we've got this great brand that up to that point we had never done wrong. I mean, our customers love us. We have this kind of overall philosophy from a customer experience standpoint. It's just like not our fault, but our problem. Like if you call in and you got an issue, we're going to get you taken care of. I mean, it's kind of like Costco or or Nordstrom. It's like you you could practically bring something that we didn't even sell you and we're going to figure out a way to make you whole. And so we really go out of our way. Well, here we we stock out for the first time and we've got these these five to seven week lead times to get our product. And we got customers upset and and we're missing promise dates. And, and so we had to pivot very quickly to making sure that we were over communicating with customers during that time. And and, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, if we wouldn't have had any supply chain problems, I truly believe that the growth would have been it would have been even even bigger. Um, so we were kind of offset that way. And then uh, and at the end of 2020, we had done a lot to really push supply chain during 2020. We decided January 2021, we're never gonna stock out again. And we and we finally had stood up new relationships, new factories and stuff to manufacture the product for us and and we were able to fill our warehouses and and uh and be able to take care of our customers and, and we saw the results of that in 2021.
0: Now these things are huge, they're heavy, they're big. And shipping costs from containers in China, we know, went up like 600, 700, 800 yep. percent. Did you have to increase the price of your products because of supply chain issues? We
1: didn't. Um, we we chose to to just basically make less and continue to lean into the customer. Um, you know, we, we believe that these challenges aren't forever. And um, we also took some measures. You know, we kind of took the onus on us, like, hey, the easy thing to do would be to raise prices to customers. The hard thing to do would be to figure out how to offset these costs. And so let's go do the hard work so we can take better care of our customers. And that's exactly what we did. We we were able to, to hold our, our costs a lot lower than others. Um, we leveraged our economies of scale. We had grown tremendously, which gave us a little bit more leverage with some of our suppliers.
0: Yeah, from um, the manufacturing to the shipping. So your exactly. increased volume was able to allow you to over negotiate.
1: Exactly. And so there were some there were some things that we took in in our favor instead of just accepting defeat. um, And we just got after it. And it was uh, you know, I talked about this uh, a little bit with you beforehand, but we talked about iterating and and learning. And a lot of this was just a learning experience. You know, we figured out kind of what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you know, in large part, we were able to hold our margins while uh, without increasing pricing by by
0: finding other ways to, to to win and cut costs. Now, speaking of costs, essentially, let me play devil's advocate here, John. You're selling a fire pit, right? I can go over to Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart anywhere, and I can buy a forty-dollar metal fire pit. How do you convince people to spend hundreds of dollars on yours? And you can even um, you can even tell us what your map, you know, your, your typical retail pricing is. You've got three sizes of these things, right? The well, I have the mid-sized one, not the big one, but tell us what those prices are, and tell us how you're able to justify getting people to spend hundreds of dollars when I can essentially. Buy a fire pit that's metal for forty bucks at Walmart.
1: Yeah, so call it two hundred to five hundred dollars somewhere in there between the small, medium, and large versions. So Ranger, Bonfire, and Yukon are the names of the three. And you know, ultimately, it's, I, th- I, I I put it on three things. The first one is is that we're not selling fire pits; we're selling experiences. You want to go buy a fire pit? Go over to Lowe's. If you want to buy experiences, if you want to have the best night of your week that you've ever had with your friends and family members, then invest in a solo stove. One, it's got a lifetime warranty on it. You know, there's no fire pit out there that has a lifetime warranty on it because they're all all going to, yeah, they're, they're all, they're all going to be, you know, you're going to be rebuying a new one every couple of years. Um, and then I, I think that this, the, the second big thing is, again, that experience. If, if, if you buy a fire pit and you find yourself only using it once a year because you're playing musical chairs and it doesn't really stay, get that warm, it doesn't get that hot because it's, it's more traditional in nature and you can do that. Or the alternative is you can invest in a solo stove and have the greatest night of your week around a solo stove and you're not playing musical chairs and you get more heat so you can use it, you know you've talked about using it in the cold right after Christmas on Christmas day, you know, with snow on your balcony, that's the type of experience you're going to get with a, with a solo stove. So that's, those are really the things, but it really comes down to the brand, you know, very similar to Yeti, you know, Yeti did a great job of making you feel like a cheapskate. If you bought any other cooler or any other tumbler and not to say that there aren't other brands out there that that are doing well and have made it, but nothing like the 1.6 billion of revenue that Yeti put up, uh, you know, also Texas based, right? Texas based in Austin. And, and they, you know, in a lot of ways have been a brand that we followed really closely. We're basically the same business, but the hot version and we're two years behind them. So everything that they did, you know, five years ago, we did three years ago and everything they did three years ago, we did one year ago and we're on that same growth path. But what they did a great job of is just making people realize that you're, you're not just buying a cooler you're actually buying the, the, the way of life that you get from being a a Yeti customer. And, and, you know, the same goes for, for solo and, and the customers that are in our, in our, uh, you know, in our fan base now uh, they just live life a little bit differently. They just, they're a little happier and they're plugged into our system and, and our, our, our community and they, in our content. And, and it's all about, finding time to go and make these these memories and and people want to be a part of that, especially now post pandemic, after having been locked up in your house for a couple of years, um, you know, people are just they're done staring at screens all the time.
0: Amen. So I was going to ask you also on my list of questions, why would and the context of that being everybody is now going to propane or natural gas and everything is a flick of a switch and it's easy to turn a switch on and have a pretty fire. Right. And I think what you're going to tell me is like, there is no experience like wood like it's it's hotter it's it it is it looks cooler it's like you get the whole experience of lighting the fire and throwing twigs in and my kids just love feeding the fire i guess that answers that question anything else to add to that why say you went arom- old school wood in a world that loves gas the way i say it all the time is you get the aroma of a wood burning
1: fire without the smoke and that's that is just There's no there's no way to exchange that Uh, at the moment that you smell wood burning. It just does something. I, I, I truly believe there's endorphins or something that get released in the brain. And it's like, oh, I'm outdoors and I'm having a great experience. And now it's time to start talking and telling stories and making memories. It just happens. And you don't get that when you flip a switch on a gas stove. So all the things you just said, the tinkering, the the interaction with the fire, it's like art. You know, it's your fire. Nobody else. I can't take, I still get texts. I mean, my friends and family members that are closest to me know what I do for a living. They, they know that I look at this stuff all day long and they still send me pictures every weekend. Dude, you're never going to believe it. Look at this fire. And it's like, man, you know how many of these pictures I've looked at? <laughs> like thousands of them. But in their mind, it is their fire and it is the coolest fire. You know, it's like like people posting pictures of
0: their kids. You know, it's like their
1: kid's the best looking kid out there.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. So uh, last question that I have on here is new brands. You guys expanded your umbrella into some different brands. Talk to me briefly why, you know, you you ramped up $360 million in revenue in 2021. Why was acquiring new brands and putting them under this Uh, kind of solo brand important for scaling the business and growing the brand and all that stuff? Try to try just a couple minutes here. Like, why does that impact everything as a force multiplier? And it's not just, oh, we want to acquire new brands and everything stays the same.
1: Two reasons. One is, we, we started talking and, and getting to know other other digital marketing and, and e-commerce brands out there and just realized that there were other founders that were doing a great job at helping people create good moments and lasting memories, just like we were. They were just doing it in their own way. Um, and so we wanted to be a part of that. We, we wanted to expand our reach into people's lives um, and do more good, create more good, which is which is a big part of our brand mantra. Number two is we believe that there are really amazing synergies as it pertains to digital marketing execution. You know, the digital marketing space is changing. I mean, the reason you're doing this podcast is because there's so much to learn and there's never any content. You're going to be able to do this for the next 20 years and you're not going to run out of stuff to talk about. And the reason is because at the moment that you feel like you've capped out every possible topic, the industry will have evolved and it will have improved and it will have gotten better and innovation will have happened. And then you're going to focus on that. And by the time you finish with that tranche, you're going to be into the next tranche. And and because of that, we feel this immediate and immense opportunity to partner with other e-commerce brands that have been great by themselves without us. These are not distressed brands. These aren't brands that need our help. These are brands that together we're better And we're finding that uh, not only are we better together from a digital marketing standpoint, but again, they're doing a great job with this good moments, lasting memories and changing people's lives for the better, just like we are in their own way. And we just love the idea of doing more and more of that.
0: Love it. So those were the majority of the questions that kind of wrapped up. And if any of you are listening and had another specific question, sorry, just don't have time to get into all of it. But now let's jump into... Some of the lessons that you'd like to share, right? So, so before we start recording, I said, "Hey, give us three lessons from Solo Stove, things that you have learned that's helped lead to your success that you can share with us as uh, as wannabes, as people that want to be as successful as Solo Stove has been, whether it's through digital marketing, e-commerce sales, whatever it is." And the first lesson that you said you wanted to share was to not chase the easy dollar. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, you're going to have opportunities as your brand grows, you're going to get approached and and you're going to have opportunities to take large POs from whether it be, you know, Amazon in the early days where, you know, they they ultimately want you to transition you from a three piece seller to a one piece seller and buy a bunch of inventory. And you're going to be attracted to those types of dollars or it's a large retailer like a Home Depot or a Lowe's that approached us several years ago that we said no to you're gonna have opportunities to take easy dollars off the table. And the, the important lesson for us in the early days was that we believe we were building a brand that was gonna be around for the next couple of decades. And that was the lens that we tried to, to look through. Some of you may not feel that way. You, you may be looking for a quick exit. And if you are, you may think about this differently, but if you are trying to build a brand that you want to be around a decade from now and two decades from now, it's going to mean that sometimes you probably are, are have a choice to make between diluting your brand or hurting your brand in the long term for short term dollars. And my recommendation and the way, what we've done and the way we've lived is to really punt that down the line and strengthen our brand the right way and, and grow our customers. We always wanted to have more control over the, the interactions with our customers so that we could then be informed about, again, new product innovation and new strategies and things that we wanted to get into because our customers have really carried us throughout.
0: Now, when you talk about saying no to things in a quick buck, let's talk specifically about this for just a second. Now, I know that 10 years ago, 80% of your sales were on Amazon. Now you have diversified so far away that it's a much smaller percent, like less than 10% of your sales are actually on Amazon right now. But you were talking about a wholesale order, and I know that uh because we talked about this earlier. I know that at one point several years ago, Amazon came to you as a third-party seller, as an FBA seller of Solo Stove on Amazon, and said, hey, we want to take your products, transition you over to Vendor Central, which a lot of people do, and I don't really love it because you lose control of your pricing and all that stuff. But the purchase order on that initial Vendor Central offer, do you care to share the size of that purchase order?
1: Yeah, without sharing the specific dollar amount, I'll say this, at the time it was equivalent to about double what the business had sold in its lifetime. So you're talking about three years worth of work, two and a half, three years worth of work. And somebody comes along and says, hey, I'll give you right now twice as much as you've sold in the last two and a half years. In a lot of ways, you kind of feel like you made it.
0: So (laughs) based on your sales numbers, is it fair to say that was an eight figure purchase order? Um let's just say for sure it was a seven figure it was it was it was well north of a seven figure number which is a big purchase order and that's cash up front to ship your products to Amazon and they pay you up front that would have been hard to say no to it and then home depot you know there's it's hard to say no to Home Depot because they give you the sales pitch. Hey, you're going to be on the shelves. We're going to give you brand awareness. Everybody that walks to the store sees your products on the kiosks and not the kiosks, but the uh, the end caps or wherever they display yep. it, you know, at home yep. and garden. And you guys said no to that. And mm-hmm. I think that if I had to guess, you said no because you knew that your path was going to be stronger if you stuck to your route of remaining a primarily, you know, e-commerce business model, and obviously, the numbers speak for themselves because you went from 16 million to 360 million in sales in four years, right? Yeah, I mean,
1: listen. The, the The key for us was we we always knew from the beginning we weren't selling fire pits and we weren't selling stoves. We were selling experiences, and. If you, if you understand your mission, your why behind your brand for, for the entrepreneurs and, and, you know, the sellers that are, that are listening today, you just, you just want to look through that lens as your decision making. We have had some retailers, let's just take REI as an example. So while Home Depot for us wasn't an automatic yes, and it was actually the opposite, when REI approached us and said, we want to carry your whole line, There was zero hesitation. We believed that from a brand perspective and for what we were trying to accomplish, while we would lose the direct connection to the customer, we believed that REI was actually going to build our brand alongside us and help more awareness come about in the outdoor industry. And so we immediately were able to lean into that. And we've had very similar experiences with retailers like Dick's Sporting Goods, like Academy, like Ace. Um, that have been really great partners for us, but it's been deliberate. I, I think maybe the takeaway or the summary is, is just because somebody's waving dollars in front of you doesn't mean those are good dollars, but it also doesn't mean they're automatically bad dollars either, just because they're coming from some channel other than digital marketing or other than e-commerce. You just have to be, be consistent and be deliberate and, and, and conscientious of what you're trying to build and who's
0: in front of you, and whether or not they can help you get there. The second point that you wanted to share was that there is no such thing as a failure. I think this is a big, big
1: deal, right? I mean, people, you know, you even hear things like, like fail fast and and, and things like that. I don't even like using the word fail anymore. I don't even think that the word should exist in your vocabulary, because what it really is, is you've just figured out what didn't work. You've succeeded at figuring out what didn't work. You didn't fail. You actually succeeded. It was a success. When you, when you did, when it didn't work, you succeeded at figuring out what didn't work. It's like, you know, Edison with the light bulb, you know, he figured out nine 99 ways that the light bulb didn't work. He succeeded 99 times on what didn't work so that he could have the, the hundred success on what did work. And I think it's that same mentality that you've got as an entrepreneur. It changes everything when in your mind, all you're trying to do is go out every day and all you're doing is succeeding. You're either figuring out what didn't work or you're figuring out what did work. And then you're leaning into the stuff that did. and You're doing more of that and you're throwing out the stuff that didn't work and you're replacing it with a new test.
0: So the third thing you want to share that, that had a massive impact on solo self success is speed. Like breakneck speed, break stuff speed, no holds barred speed. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, this, this one to me is the most obvious. The reality is, is I just believe that speed is a competitive advantage. And the great thing for you entrepreneurs out there is that it's free. It costs you nothing. You can do it every day, And just think about it. If you're if you're moving twice as fast, if you're iterating twice as fast, if you're succeeding at figuring out what's not working twice as fast as your competition, then you're going to grow twice as fast, too. You're going to get twice as big. And not only that, but you're also learning twice as fast. And as you learn twice as fast, you actually get better than them twice as fast. Imagine now, instead of twice as fast, that you're three or four times as fast you can start exponentially widening the gap between you and anyone else that's chasing at your tail, trying to, trying to do what you're doing, trying to, trying to, you know, gain new customers, trying to grow their business. So I believe in speed. I think speed, uh, is, is such a massive competitive advantage for any business, large or small. And it's especially intriguing for me because it's free.
0: (laughs) I love that. The, the, Coming from a company that's now massive that started bootstrapping, free is important. And the things that we can do as small businesses that set ourselves apart from those large companies is agility. You know, I tell people all the time, like, we can be ninjas. We could be sneaking around behind the scenes doing big things. We don't have to be a giant occupying force of soldiers, right, in this battle for ecom dominance. We can sneak around. Speed is important. So I know that we're, we, we've gone longer than we typically have, and I know that you even ran over on another meeting to be here and and to continue speaking. So man, I appreciate this. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say that this was one of the most exciting um, interviews that we had so far this year, because I, I love everything that you're doing. And I think there's so much to be, I don't know, to be seen here for lessons and value for e-commerce sellers. I've got, of course, a whole page of notes here of stuff that I'm going to be implementing myself and and notes that I'm going to share with my teams. So thank you for being on. I know that uh, Solo Stove has recently purchased a few other brands. Uh, one of them was the Origami Canoe or Kayak. Yeah, you got an
1: Oru Kayak, um, and then uh, which is an incredible product. This is a, a kayak that folds into the size of a briefcase, weighs 20 pounds. You can throw it on your back like a backpack and go mountain biking up to a lake. Or throw it on the back seat of a cab if you live in the city to go get a paddle in the bay does it so,
0: actually work because i'll tell you i saw this thing on shark tank like eight years ago and i remember thinking my fat butt would sink this thing
1: i'm telling you the, the this product it's like as rigid as a hard kayak with the flexibility and portability of an inflatable it's it's an incredible product so you'll have to check that one out we also acquired Isle paddle boards uh, and surf surfboards out of san diego a really great inflatable paddleboard business and then uh, and then and then finally Chubby's apparel, uh, the, the, the Chubby shorts, the men's apparel Friday at five brand. Um, honestly, that brand just so incredible at putting smiles on people's faces. You know, they've really leaned into men's mental health, uh, something that we could get behind as well. So um, now together uh, we've got this platform of, of four digital e-commerce brands. Uh, that uh, we're super excited to continue to grow and lean into and you'll probably see more more brands joining the platform in the future
0: amazing john thank you so much for being on uh anybody that's listening go to solostove.com s-o-l-o-s-t-o-v-e.com let them pixel you so that your facebook feed will fill up with their amazing advertisements and notice that their advertisements are not about the product they're about the experience they're about the solution. They're about the dream of togetherness and putting smiles on people's face. And I wrote this quote down. You you told me before we started recording, it said, you sell products that, quote, make people smile and create connections to the people and places they love. That's it. Love That's it. That's it, man. John, thanks so much for being on. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions that maybe we can fire off over to Solo Stove, if you uh, go over to the YouTube channel and look at the YouTube video and Uh, post a reply in the comment section there. Otherwise, if you want to give some feedback and you love this episode, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, make sure to leave a review. Thanks again, John. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you all on next week's episode.